so this is episode four of desktop i guess we're counting the pilot as episode one i we think we talked about before i don't know if that's normal for for shows to do but that's what we're going with um so it's desktop number four we've got daniel Kier. Da- do, you, do you prefer to go dan or daniel either or i respond to any and all variations of my name okay i might mix it up halfway through okay. um as as listeners may have may or may not have noticed we don't have rob here today he uh, is recovering from a weekend party event of some sort, I believe, and or has other commitments today. So we're uh, I'm here with Daniel, Dan, Mr. Keir, and uh, I know Dan through Twitter. He's one of my internet friends, and uh, we, we've met a couple times in real life, had a couple events that we've attended mutually, and I don't know, it's, it's cool because I grew up with school friends and real life friends but i think some of my best friends have been internet friends they're definitely high school onward a lot of my best friends have been internet friends i don't know if that's the same for you dan oh it is totally the same like i don't even talk to almost anyone i went to high school with (laughs) but i talk to all my friends that i've made on the internet since high school yeah i know when i think the first time that i went out to meet you i told my wife i was like oh i'm gonna meet this guy i met on twitter and she's like "Is, is, is that safe (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah you know and she's it's like oh is that that guy on facebook i'm like yeah yeah that's, that's dan <laughs> it's like oh that's that's, that's kind of weird it, not in when a bad I told way my, <laughs> when i told my parents that i was lending you my moto 360 watch <laughs> they were like who i'm like ah oh, some guy from twitter <laughs> i'm like ah whatever yeah um so so the reason that dan is here today is because he is quite tech inclined similar to to myself and i thought it'd be interesting to talk about a bit more on the pc hardware side of things because that's an area that i had been more familiar with and there had been a lot more advancements with but these days i think it's been so focused on mobile and just non-pc or desktop hardware that uh, you kind of forget that side of things a little bit and i mean like we all for the most part, if you're working in a kind of a professional environment, you're using a computer. So um, my my experience with computers goes way back, probably from the age of seven. And then that was kind of the rise of computers in elementary schools. Everyone got their computer labs with Windows 95 on them. Uh, you always had the old computer labs that still had the Windows 3.1 computers that everyone played Chips Challenge on. And uh, But there are the days that you got to run the Windows 95 machines and and experience the joys of of alta vista search and and word processing <laughs> and go mama <laughs> and which and go mama yeah <laughs> um oh god so so dan what, what's been your experience with computers uh it's growing up and, and into today um well the school i went to uh we got imax like those original imax crt imax kind of things and The school didn't know very much about networking, and then I eventually figured out that everybody was just using a shared drive, and everybody just had their own folders, but there was nothing preventing me from viewing anybody else's thing. So what I did is I loaded up SimCity, loaded everybody's save game, um, spawned a bunch of monsters, saved it, and closed it, (laughs) and did that to everybody. (laughs) And everybody's like, what happened to my game? I don't know. (laughs) 
And then um, my dad got some computer from somebody he worked with, and it was an old Windows 3.1 laptop. Like the monitor or the, the screen on it was like this LCD black and white screen. And in order to get into Windows, I had to boot into like Midnight Commander, and then I could boot into DOS, with, and then I could boot into Windows. And I learned very quickly that it is not a good idea to move the entire Windows folder and every folder on your C drive into a new folder called Daniel because everything breaks. <laughs> so I had to learn a lot to uh, just like a lot of command prompt in order to figure out how to fix everything. And that literally took me years because I just I had no idea what I was doing. But at the same time, my parents had like a Windows, I think it was 98, had a Windows 98 computer. And I was messing around with that. Like, I remember playing a Lego, I think it was a Bionicle Flash game. And the problem I had with it is I beat the game, but I wasn't able to like restart until I discovered a thing called cookies. Just clear my cookies and now I can play the game again. And just kind of from there, my my knowledge with computers always just grown because I'm like, how do things work? Why does this happen like this? What happens when I do this? And it's just kind of evolved into what it is today. Yeah, I think that's that's actually probably pretty accurate to describe most of our our generation who's become familiar with computers is we started out more familiar with computers than our parents, and I like their naivete allowed us to experiment probably more than we should have been allowed to, I think. Um, and, and computers definitely weren't set up to have a lot of safeguards against getting screwed up royally. Like you were describing, uh, the C drive movement thing. Like I think nowadays the file structure is set up so that it can just automatically repoint whatever it needs yep. to, if that ever happened, like you install somewhere, but that doesn't mean that it has to stay there. Like, unless you, yeah. unless you strip files out from the other ones, but I think you can kind of redirect things a bit more easily. Yeah, because you can now like remap your My Documents folder to wherever the yeah. heck you want, and it's just it's gotten smarter. You can still break it, like using Command Prompt, just move everything into a folder called Not Windows, and everything will break. Mm. It it might still learn a little bit, but if you do it outside of Windows, like um, with Linux or something, then it would definitely break. Yeah, I think most of my playing around with computers was more related to kind of like word processing and, and PowerPoint. When I discovered PowerPoint and clip art <laughs> and being able to make like stop motion movies, that was, that's kind of where my, uh, my experience was. I'd, I'd make a PowerPoint presentation on like my favorite hobbies type thing and put like pictures of stuff and clip art and bullet points of my favorite foods and all that kind of stuff. And just seeing what I could do with what I had I guess. And, uh, I, I think I, I missed that part of stuff. Like I don't, A, when you're a kid, you just have time. So it's like, you have a computer, it can do a lot of stuff and more or less you have kind of free reign over that. So it's, uh, it's different being an adult and just a computer is a tool. It's not this big mysterious kind of toy anymore. Like it can be if you, if you choose for it to be and, and give yourselves opportunities to try different things with it. But I think for the most part, like you sit in front of a computer and you're doing, you're sitting in front of it to do something specific, whether it's a specific application or programming or that kind of thing. And, and there isn't a ton of new stuff to discover when it comes to how a computer works. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. So Dan, you have a history, I understand, with building computers and both professionally and in your, in your spare time. 
Uh, yeah, I used to work in a computer repair shop, so I would sometimes build the computers and and then repair them. So like my my background is largely software based, but I know a, a decent amount of hardware to get me by. But I'm no, by no means a hardware expert. Hmm. So what's been your exposure with the software side then? Um, mainly like how viruses function, how to repair them without actually running an antivirus. Like a lot of the times there was viruses that would prevent explorer.exe from running. So it would run the virus instead. Well, if you go into the registry and load that remotely, then you can actually re-edit it, correct it to the right file location, and bam, you can load in to Windows again, then you can get into safe mode, then you can run like combo fix or whatever program to remove the malware. But it was kind of just reverse engineering how the software works. Like my dad works in the aviation industry and a lot of the times they are very, very dated. Like they still use PCM CIA cards. Like they have contacted the manufacturers of that to continue making them because they <laughs> normally don't make them anymore. But the aviation industry relies on them so heavily. And there's certain programs that he'll get. Like there was one where there was a .ini file that said, okay, look for the CD on the D drive. Well, he had two hard drives in his computer, so the CD drive was actually E, but then I realized it's an any file, so I copied the whole directory onto the computer, remapped the any file to the directory, and now he doesn't need the CD. Hmm. So that kind of weird software tweaks. Interesting. And th this is all as a part of your job, or is this like a, a hobby this type thing? Kind of Kind of a hobby. Okay. Like technically, I could have told them to bring it to my work and charge them, but <laughs> I was like, "Eh, I can figure it out." Right. But I, I did build computers for customers. Like there was actually, I think one of the cooler things is there was someone from a large game company that actually bought a computer from me specifically. That I was like, "You need this, this, and this," and I definitely was making commission on it, so I recommended certain things so I would get better commission. But I can't believe I sold the computer to someone from like a software development company hmm. that may or may not be based in Edmonton. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so on on that note, like I've recently purchased, like I'm using a desktop computer right now. Um, up until recently, I had only been using a laptop as my primary computing device. That was probably since I, yeah, since I basically moved out, I've only ever had a laptop and because I didn't have a need for anything else, but since working in an office and then having the dual monitors, you start missing the dual monitors if you're working <laughs> from home. And uh, it's not really the same to hook your, your laptop up to a single monitor or use like an external as an extended desktop. So it, uh, I, I end up getting, and it helped that Maria, my wife, she needed a laptop for work just kind of on more of a full-time basis. So I couldn't keep the laptop at home as a, an available computer for me to use. So you know, I need a new computer anyway, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to spring for a desktop and, and have the, the dual monitors and kind of have the full desktop PC experience that I'd normally get with work. So that's worked out really well, um, kind of being able to to emulate what I'd, what I'd have in an office. And I'd imagine that's the same for a lot of people. If they have a desktop, it's because they're using it for kind of a dedicated workspace when required, if not full-time. Um, I mean, the obvious exception being gaming and and maybe there's a bit of overlap between the two types of people that would have a desktop PC. Uh, I'm assuming, Dan, that you have a desktop PC I, at home? I have multiple yeah. desktops and a couple laptops. 
Um, what's interesting, though, is a coworker of mine, he used to have a desktop, and then he bought an Asus gaming laptop in order to replace his desktop, and he loves it because he can take his laptop to work, and when it's dead, he can play video games, <laughs> um, which my boss may or may not like, but that's regardless. Yeah. Um, but I've always favored the desktop computer because you can always do more. Like, if my processor fails, I can pop in another one. Whereas laptops, you're very, very limited. Like, the only thing you can usually change is your RAM, your optical drive, and the hard drive. Everything else is usually asphyxiated to the motherboard, so you can't really upgrade it. And even then, um, like, some of those super thin Lenovo's the RAM is like soldered onto the motherboard so you can't even upgrade that so I've always loved having a computer that I can upgrade because most of my computers are all Frankenstein computers just like oh this part works take this from this and this one and this like all of my RAM clock speeds on this current computer are don't even match <laughs> they're just kind of all over the place because oh this RAM works pop it into there huh but yeah does it kind of work itself out when you're building a computer like when I'm shopping for a computer, I'll look at, you know, processor speed, hard drive space, hard drive speed, RAM, uh, maybe graphics-ish, like dedicated versus integrated. But when I'm looking at those benchmarks and those speeds, like, I'll be honest, like, they don't really mean anything to me. It's like, okay, well, what are most computers at right now? And is this kind of in that ballpark or is it a bit slower, like... Is when you're building a computer for yourself or just recommending one to someone else, what are you usually looking for uh, when you're comparing the different types of performances? So for this current computer build that I'm working on, I decided to go with Ryzen, but I was sitting on the fence because I'm an Intel fanboy and I wanted to go Intel, but I compared the specs of like the seventh generation i7 that just came out versus the Ryzen uh, that came out recently as well and just looking at like the application usage um so for example i looked at the adobe render time and the adobe render time on ryzen was significantly faster than it was on the intel i7 so to me i was like okay i do a lot of video rendering so that makes a lot of sense to go for it for that specific use i also game sometimes but i know that some of the gaming scores for ryzen are a bit lower but some of that is due to not due to the games not being optimized yet um, kind of thing. So I, I take a look at everything, but to like an average person that doesn't really know what all of those things mean, because most of those benchmarks, I'm like, I don't know what this means. Um, but a lot of it can be overwhelming. And at the same time, does it really matter? All that really matters is what do you use your computer for? Those are the benchmarks you should pay attention to. Yeah. That's kind of the interesting thing. Like, you know, you're you're safer going with the best of the best, but then it could be overkill, right? Um, like even when I was buying our our last laptop, you know, it was like, okay, well, should we go with the four gigs or the eight gigs of RAM? Okay, well, you know, for what we're going to use it for, you probably won't need more than four. And again, that's just based on feeling. That's not on any sort of benchmarking or just testing or any of that kind of stuff. It's like, okay, well, I've I've owned computers in the past that had you know one and two gigs, and that was kind of painful. Um, but you know, four gigs for the most part, you know, it's, you know, you go into task manager and see how much memory it's using. You're not, you're not even going to break two most of the time for what, for what you're going to be using it for. Um, again, this is in a non-professional type thing where you're running like word processors. The, probably the biggest memory hog is Chrome. What we'd use the, yep. what we use the laptop for. It's, it's crazy. Like when I'm at work, 
uh, I'll use Chrome when the site allows me to. There's obviously the sites that say, you know, use Internet Explorer because we're not compatible. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like, but no. <laughs> and they're always like Microsoft sites that don't on Chrome. Yeah. Um, but when I have Chrome going and I have, you know, a bunch of extensions, that kind of thing, and it uses like over a gig of RAM just on its own. And it's like crazy. Like, I don't, I don't, I, yeah. I don't know if it's supposed to be that high, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, well, I think it has to do with the fact that Chrome treats it, treats each tab kind of as its own process. So that will increase like the usage. Like if I look at it right now, I'm using just sitting with the various tabs that I have open. I'm sitting at six gigs of RAM usage right now. And um, Chrome is taking up a large chunk of that. I can't see exactly how much because it's split into a whole bunch of different processes, but it's safe to say it's about a gig or so. Yeah. Like here, I'll pull mine up right now. So I've got... 47% 47% memory and Chrome is using, uh, yeah, like you said, it's hard to tell, but at least a quarter to a half gig of RAM between the various tabs and extensions that it's running. And obviously like we're, we're in a hangout right now. So that's using a lot of memory too, but, um, yeah. so yeah, going back to, to what a computer requirement might be for someone like you're probably okay with four gigs of RAM most of the time. And then when you're running specific applications and that's kind of where your your requirement might go up, whether you're photo editing, audio editing, video editing, um, games, all that kind of stuff. So I, I like what you said, you know, look at the benchmarks that matter for what you're going to use the computer for, not what someone else says is the best one to go with. If that's not even applicable to what you're going to, what you're going to do. Yeah. Uh, so, so when you're building a computer, so when I bought my desktop, I for the same reasons that, that you alluded to, being able to replace parts, upgrade, all that kind of stuff, uh, right away I upgraded to a solid state drive for the operating system install, used the existing, uh, or the optical drive that, or sorry, not the optical drive, the um, HDD that came with it uh, as the data drive. Uh, and that was fine. You know, that's pretty straightforward. Just get a SATA drive and there's not too much else to look at as far as compatibility goes. But then once you start getting into RAM and processors and all that kind of stuff, it's it's a bit trickier to figure out what you can do with your system. Like when I looked at how I can upgrade my computer down the road, this was after I bought it. I saw that with the motherboard that I have, there's only certain processors that are compatible with it, which I didn't realize going into it. So it's like, okay, so I guess it still has a lifespan. Yeah. The socket yeah. type is always going to have a lifespan. That's another uh, one of the lower reasons why I went with Ryzen is that um, the older stuff, I believe, was AM3, and now it's an AM4 um, socket, uh, which is specifically only for AMD. And AMD has stated that they're going to support that socket until, I think, like uh, 2020 or something like that. Uh, for So for a couple of years, so that means I can always keep upgrading my processor without having to get a new socket. Whereas Intel, I don't know how often they do it, but they, they have their own sockets that change every so often when like a new generation gets released. So like right now, I think they're on... Um, actually, I have no idea. I can't even harbor, I guess. <laughs> like I know what the old stuff is, like LGA um, 1150, I think. But yeah, they're... They're, that's old though right so i don't know if you're if you follow mac news at all um i used to i used to be a huge apple fan oh yeah okay how, yeah. how long ago was that um let's see probably 10 years ago okay so there's a 
there's this one podcast called Accidental Tech Podcast that I listen to regularly, and they're all, you know, it's essentially an Apple podcast that talks about other tech stuff, and they're all, you know, quote unquote pro Mac users. And there's this long running thing about when is Apple going to release a new Mac Pro? Because <laughs> yes, they've, yes. Uh, I guess they've had the same so called trash can Mac Pro for oh, for a yeah. long time, and. One of the individuals on the show, he he still has that one and uses it and will not change because he loves it so much. But the second they release a new one, he'll he'll get a new one. So it's I don't know. It's I don't know if it's like a psychological or just an emotional thing. Like laptops and even iMacs, as far as App, Apple goes, because iMacs are essentially just desktops. Like they're all in one desktops, right? Maybe not. They're more they're more similar to laptops. Form factor because... wise, they're more desktops. But yeah, maybe. In reality, they're more like laptops. The internals are more similar to okay. laptops because you're like I, I've had to take apart uh, an iMac, and like as soon as you take it apart, it's almost identical to a laptop motherboard. Mm. You're very limited on what you can upgrade as well. Mm. So there, there's that. Interesting. And the same thing is with the trash can Mac Pro. I don't actually know what you can really upgrade on that because it just it's weird form factor. Hmm. So it, I, th- I know you can upgrade the RAM, but I don't know what else. Right. Yeah, it's it's just one of those things that desktop PCs seem to have less and less relevance in consumer electronics. Of course, on you know the corporate and enterprise side, like desktops are what people use generally for the most part in majority. Like laptops are being kind of more and more integrated into to workplaces just because of their portability and. You know, and you bring your own device. Yeah, bring your own device and all that kind of stuff. And even affordability for that matter. Like you can get, again, depending on what you're going to use it for, but you're you're often better off getting a uh, a lower powered, cheaper laptop versus a, a desktop that might have a bit more than you need. Uh, so, I mean... I think the problem that Mac did um, that is the same problem that Intel's done is they've kind of moved away from desktop, which is why I think Apple has forgotten about the Mac pro and Intel basically kind of forgot about the desktop processors. And we're like, look, here's a new processor. It costs more money. It's only a little bit better, but Hey, it's great. Uh, and Apple did the exact same thing. Like, look at how long it's been since the net last max Mac pro came out. Right. Like, Everybody seems to be forgetting, but then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, AMD's like, hey, we remember desktops. Have a processor. Eight cores for everybody. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, all the processors that are coming out these days are all about power efficiency, right? Like, more bang yeah. for your buck, so to speak. Whether it's for phones or for, for laptops, because everyone has a mobile device and they need the the power efficiency that uh while also getting at least equivalent if not better performance out of their device so uh yeah i think you hit the nail on the head with that it's you know you're you're refocusing your resources and it's like well the bigger piece of the pie is with mobile and and laptops where why would you commit r&d to come up with a better desktop processor that's overpowered for for what most people need yeah i think there was something in an article that came out recently saying that uh, Chrome was popping up on one of the most used like um, applications in the sense that like Windows and Mac have like the large market share, but all of a sudden Chrome, like Chrome across desktop and laptops and all of that, is now cutting into that market share. It's because it's so widely used. So kind of like it's immune to the device. It's just everyone's going to be using Chrome anyway. 
Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's that Chrome is almost like an operating system, but it's not. Like, well, Chromium or Chromebooks are, yeah. but getting a copy of those are is a pain. <laughs> well, I was actually hearing some some stats on that Chromebooks are actually on the rise with education. That you have a lot more schools, you know, investing in computing devices for their students, and and a lot of the initiative is to have you know one device for every student. And, you know, obviously you're not going to give everyone like a $1,200 MacBook. So you're going to, you know, give them the $250 Chromebook that can do everything that they need it to do. And often that's just accessing your, your network file structure, your drive apps. Like my uh, sister-in-law, like she's in high school now and all of their stuff is done over Google Docs, like assignments and submitting of assignments and all that kind of stuff. And like, that's really cool to see. I've, I'm, on board with that for sure because i'm the same way when i am able to i'll use google docs and i hate attachments and i hate emails back and forth so if you can stick with instant messaging and and google docs and i'm on board with that fair enough what's interesting is uh in my uh, junior high slash elementary school um because it was in the french school board so there was significantly less students to deal with um, the whole school basically, uh, I think from like grade six to grade 12, and there was only like one grade 12 student. So it's tiny. Um, everybody got Palm Pilots and we did, um, our work on Palm Pilots and it essentially was that like Chromebook kind of thing, but we'd like Bluetooth or beam via infrared, like our documents and stuff like that and homework assignments. But it was, the infrastructure wasn't there. The IT department didn't really, like, we couldn't connect to the network shares or anything like that. Um, you could, but it, you'd have to go about it a very roundabout way. Um, but it, it's, it's great seeing that it's kind of evolved from there because that project only lasted like a year and then they killed it. Mm. Um, I think it was because most of the students then left and it just, it was expensive, like a Palm Pilot for each student when you have like 25 students is still pricey mm-hmm. but it's not as bad as having like a calgary school board school like those those would be expensive yeah yeah i'm i'm looking forward to the day when it won't matter which device you use because your information will be there i mean like that's possible already but just people's reliance on devices like even people who have phones i know so many people who still don't have cloud backups of anything <laughs> like you still see the odd Facebook post of yeah. new phone, text me your number. It's like, are you kidding me? Like most of this stuff is default now. How do you not have like backups of your account and contacts and files and photos? Like that's mind boggling to me. I actually figured it out because that was driving me nuts. And at work we have a Samsung phone that's our work phone that we just all kind of use. And I was like, what happens if I randomly tried to uh, create a contact and by default, it actually tries to create the contact on the phone itself rather than like Gmail. And I'm like, why on earth would it be set up that way? That makes no sense. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, like when you set up your phone, you log in, like you have the option of assigning a Google account to it when it's an Android phone and with Apple it's iCloud and you check off what types of things you want synced. So I'm pretty sure as soon as you have like contacts checked off, it should sync with your Google account. So I think it's it starts with the setting up of the phone. Okay. Th- it might be because we don't have a Google account on that mm. phone because no one wants to enter their Google account because I enter mine and just everything is there. Yeah. No, that that would probably be the uh be the reason why your 
you're having that kind of that kind of thing happen because yeah and and i i'm sure people when they get a new phone they'll turn it on and just say oh i'll assign my google account later and at that point then your contacts are defaulted to your phone and then you add your google account possibly maybe not if you choose not to set up a google account and then you're kind of screwed from there if you ever lose your phone yeah and uh and same with same with photos like I'm, again, I don't know what the general default is, but like people should know that Google Photos has unlimited free backups. So, yep. like, why would you not be doing that? <laughs> I used to use Dropbox's Photo Sync for, until, like, I tricked it so that I could get the Samsung exclusive thing where you got fifty gigabytes for like three years for free if you had a Samsung phone, yep. and it, you were able to trick trick your Google phone to do that. So I did that for the longest time, and then eventually that expired. But by the time that expired, Google Photos was a thing, so I just switched over to that. Yeah. And done. Yeah. No, I still have like I even invested in like the hundred gigabyte drive storage because I I use it enough. And now on my home computer, I just have everything in my Google Drive. So if I'm doing anything, documents, anything is in my drive, so I can access it from anywhere. And it's you know, it's like yeah. three bucks a month. It's like why would you why would you not do that? I think it's everyone. I, I firmly believe everyone should have some form of cloud storage that they can use as a as a living, always accessible thing for anything important. I think people's paranoia is security, though. And I don't know. That's that's an interesting point because I don't disagree that it's an important thing to think about. But like, it ultimately comes down to trust, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you trust Google that yeah. that they know what they're doing, and I don't know. It's I think that's just, that's a whole another topic, and <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> it totally is. I don't know. Like, what what are your just surface thoughts on on internet security? Be, like, as far as investing in cloud solutions and trying to con- and trying to balance that with with security and and vulnerability. Turn on two factor authentication, problem solved. Yeah, that that's basically it. Yeah, yeah. Unless you have like a server side breach of data. Like, so there's like your account compromisation where someone gets your password or hacks your password or whatever and is able to access your account that way. And then there's like the actual kind of raw data that can get compromised due to various security breaches on, on Google's end, like the back end kind of thing, right? Uh, similar to like how Heartbleed kind of release a bunch of information, yeah. that kind of thing. And like no level of password or account security is going to protect you from that because again, that's on on Google's end to kind of make sure that stuff's taken care of. But yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of one of those other things, like on top of cloud storage and backups, it's like have two factor if you're able to. Yeah. Uh, I even recently started using LastPass for, for my passwords because there's so many random accounts I sign up for on like either shopping or just whatever services. And it's like, I don't know what their security is like. Like, so if the, and a lot of them don't have two factor authentication either. So, and I don't want to have to remember like 50 passwords. So, you know, my, I'll use essentially a throwaway password with these services under the LastPass kind of vault and trust LastPass with my security versus these other, you know, PC plus or whoever's managing yeah. my account. See, I would do that, but I don't trust LastPass because that's a single point of failure. And there was an issue with one of those password companies. I don't know which one it was that where they ended up getting into some trouble because something wasn't properly secured and there was some sort of thing. I don't know if passwords were breached, but it was enough to make me go, mm-hmm. I don't want this. So I just saved my passwords using like Google Chrome password saver thing. Like whenever you log in, it's like, do you want to save this? I'm like, yes, totally. Yeah. Now I don't have to think about it. But 
you know, that's that's also a single point of failure, though. Yeah, but it's Google. I have two-factor. It's Google. Um, the likelihood yeah. of Google totally being hacked is unlikely. Like, I'll still, I still have my own level of paranoia where anything that has, like, my social insurance number or even, like, my tax documents, um, like, my tax stuff that I submit to the government, that I don't keep on my Google Drive whatsoever. I only keep physical hard copies of it, no soft copies whatsoever. Yeah. Just because I'm, I'm paranoid because you could steal my entire identity with that. So I don't want to make it that easy. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting because LastPass actually has, you know, kind of going back to the vault concept that you can actually store, you know, they, they're they saying that it's secure enough to store scanned documents of like passports and social insurance numbers and all that kind of stuff. And again, like, I don't think I'd go that far. I'm kind of like you, where it's like, I'll keep those as hard copies just because I don't find that I need like the digital. I mean, for one, I have my social insurance number memorized, but uh, I don't. <laughs> but again, even even if you didn't, like, you're not going to need that, you know, every other week. Like, you're applying for yeah. a job, you can go home and fill up the form or call someone to exactly. go look it up, kind of thing, right? Uh, but yeah, when it comes when it comes to passwords, um, like LastPass, from my understanding, it uses you know various forms of encryption and hashing, and they don't even actually store your master password, like. Okay. They, they they store a hash version of it, but you still need the plain text version when you log in and then it hashes it and then it matches that hash with what they have. So so if they got the hashed version, they can't do anything with that because you can't actually log in with that. So so that that's okay. part of their security levels is like, yeah, it is it is a single point of failure, but you still can't you're still not vulnerable for that because there's they don't even have your master password. Like they do, mm-hmm. but they don't. Fair enough. Right. I need to research more into this. Yeah, and and that made me feel a lot better about using it because I I didn't even know that when I signed up for it, but I just trusted that you know they're in the business of security. I'll trust them with my you know single password and and again like I still have every like for one I didn't change my Google password because I'm still trusting the two factor to take care of the security on that end, and anything else is still under two factor if I'm able to. So there's kind of like three or four layers of security before anything's compromised so even if LastPass got compromised I'm, I'm still protected on a couple other levels so um but you should just have like passwordception <laughs> where you log into one pass like last pass or one pass and then it gives you the password for like last yeah. pass, and then that gives you the password for your google password and you're just like yeah try to get my account now <laughs> yeah no that's actually yeah no, that'd be that's pretty funny actually that'd be a good idea <laughs> be a, such a pain to maintain though <laughs> yeah well if you ever like the thing is is like you have you still need an easily remembering password for a lot of things because like so say with like google right like a lot of services use email as like an authentication method right they'll send you an email and say oh click on this link to authenticate but if i forget my google password i'm kind of like screwed because yep if you forget a password for one thing, it's like, oh, check your email. It's like, but I don't have my password for my email. So so that's why I, I'm not even worrying about using like a LastPass password for my Google because it's like I don't I don't want to risk not getting being able to access my LastPass password to get into my Google to get into all my other stuff. Ah, fair enough. So that's where the two factor comes in and, and I'm okay with that. So um as far as as far as kind of a bit more getting to, to more of our interests like so you have desktop hardware software w- what kind of things are you involved in 
on the uh, on the creative side of things, kind of related to being able to be creative with your building a PC, uh, working with software and exploring computer. Do you, do you have any other outlets for your creativity on that end? Um, I make YouTube videos. <laughs> that's about it. Well, I don't know about um, that's about it. I, I think you, I think it's a bit more than that's about it as far as your YouTube videos go. <laughs> how how long yeah. have you been doing YouTube videos for? Um, on Saturday it will be four years of weekly videos. Actually, oh wow! Like consistently, w- consistently, not a single Monday missed. Wow, that's very impressive. It's very and quite difficult. Like some of the videos that I've uploaded are kind of eh, but whatever. Like today's video was or monday's video was shaving for the first time with like an actual manual shaver Hmm. i could have created a better video but whatever i thought it'd be interesting um but yeah i've been doing that for quite a while i've also started a production company with another friend of mine whose name is also dan and we've been creating higher quality kind of like videos and i use that kind of as my creative outlet and at the same time like i i've helped um get the youtube calgary community of all the like local youtubers kind of kick into motion and just get the website running and just spread the word about the fact that like there's a community of local calgary youtubers and also the same for like twitch calgary as well like there's there's a whole community of just calgary based twitch streamers which i help well i don't really do much for the website in terms of just i host it and someone else has configured it <laughs> but, but that's just that's twitch calgary those people are know a little bit more about like websites mm-hmm. and all of that whereas youtube calgary people are know more about editing software and stuff like that where it's like oh, the back end of the server is going to work like this, this, and this, and everybody's like, it's going to do what? I'm like, it's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> so you built the YouTube Calgary site then? I used a theme and changed it. <laughs> there is some, there is actually a fair amount of custom code. Like the biggest issue I ran into was creating like the YouTube Calgary channels page because what I wanted to do with that is I wanted it to pull up this list and I wanted it to kind of display like the author profile. So I had to figure out how to code that. So I looked up a couple of tutorials and I, both of them kind of got me halfway. So combining the two got me the full way. But then the problem I ran into is I couldn't figure out how to insert my actual code that I wrote into the actual page. I could put it everywhere but inside the text box. So I ended up figuring it out after like three or four hours that all I had to do was enter a short code. But the magic of it is that now any user account that is created on there Basically, I upload their photo and put all their YouTube links and all that kind of fun stuff, and it gets populated onto the channel list. And each time you refresh the channel list, it's actually random. Sometimes it doesn't appear to be random, but that's because there's a cached copy. Um, but it is entirely random, so there's no favoritism for hmm. users and stuff like that. Cool. Um, yeah. And so you is. built in like the randomness part of it? Well, yeah, all I did was sort order random. Oh, done. Nice. So yeah, there's there's one section of code that then looks up the user table, then pulls all the URLs and all the social links, and then there's a bunch of if statements that says if there's a social link, then do this. If there isn't, display nothing. And then it just gets all of that, outputs it to the channel page, and it does that for each user account. And then it also, after it has that, it takes that like table of information that it's gathered and randomizes it and makes it so that um, everybody's kind of in a random order. Hmm. It's it's kind of crazy the way that web coding is set up. Like 
the most exposure I've had to web code is with building like MailChimp emails and just doing custom <laughs> HTML stuff. And there's like, so you have the basic, basic HTML formatting code, which is like, I, I know that stuff. Uh, <laughs> little triangle b oh yeah i can do that <laughs> but then, you, then then you dig into like the css part of it uh-huh. where it's like okay if the user is running this type of system then show this and then fit it to be this width if this and if the screen yep. size is this it's like holy cow like i am not touching that at all <laughs> it's like <laughs> and i'm just like let's see what happens when i change this to font yeah. size 500 yeah. oh that's where it is okay change it back one of the worst things is like you have say like, like you're trying to use an image as a header and then you have like a background and then it's like okay you want the the header to like stretch across your page but then if you don't set like the image size to automatically resize bit based on the window size and all this kind of stuff then it like looks all stupid and it's like ah. Yep. This is not worth the effort. <laughs> I mean, like, That's... if it was a business and, you know, you're trying to have it look a certain way, whatever, then obviously you're going to dedicate the time to it. But it's like, I'm just trying to make it look a bit different. And it's not, at this point, I'm not trying to learn how to do all that kind of stuff. But it's really cool, like, the power behind being able to do a lot of that kind of stuff. And I think it all starts with, like, what you're doing is putting in templates and trying to modify the templates a little bit to to fit for what you're looking to do. Yeah. Well, it it helps that I I understand the basics of like PHP, CSS and HTML. I understand the basics. Like I can scroll through the code and I can go, "Okay, that's what that's doing. That's what that's doing." And kind of start to pick out what things are doing and kind of figure my way around, but by like no means I couldn't write an entire website just in PHP because I'd have no idea really how to do it. No, yeah. It's and that's where I, I don't envy people who whose job it is to come up with like these templates and like obviously everyone's kind of working off of some starting point usually like even if it's their own stuff they've built from scratch they're just reusing it in different applications like i've i'm currently for one of my work projects is uh using excel macros and that kind of stuff and i'll write i'll write a piece of code to do something and then i'll come across another thing it's like oh that i could use that same code and then i'll just copy paste change some variable names all that kind of stuff and you got it again. Yeah. You didn't have to reinvent the wheel. So that's obviously like part of coding is using yep. what's in your toolbox and knowing where to find that toolbox and like places like GitHub and Stack Overflow and all those kinds of places are really good resources for that kind of thing. And like Stack Overflow got me so far in learning how to work my way around macros. And I, it's like, I know that I could do this somehow. I know there's a way, but I don't know how to do it. So then that's yep. where, where that part comes in. Stack Overflow is actually what helped me figure out how to f- fix the channel list on YouTube Calgary. <laughs> I was like, how do I do this? Oh, oh, okay, this. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. coming back to, to YouTube Calgary, like what is, what's the purpose of YouTube Calgary? If you just- To connect and gather all of the local YouTubers that are in Calgary or people that really enjoy YouTube content that happen to live in the city of Calgary and just get everybody kind of to kind of meet each other because like the moment you get all these people that have the same interest well you can already instantly be friends because you all have the same interest already and the moment you get all those people together you have some people that know analytics you have some people that know that know editing you have some people that know websites you have some people that just 
no color correction and stuff like that. As soon as you get all those people into one room, the amount of knowledge contained in that room is just amazing. So the whole point is to kind of to get everybody together, to encourage collaborations, to help channels grow and just learn from each other because why do you need to go sign up for some course when you could just go to a meetup and go, hey, how do I do this? Like there was one meeting we had an entire conversation about like copyright and like how complicated it is because JD's dealt, uh, JD from YouTube Calgary has dealt a lot with like the whole copyright with musicians and that kind of stuff. I've dealt a little bit with like copyright in terms of like royalty free stuff and that kind of stuff. And we had an entire discussion all about copyright. And even I learned some things like there's a ton about copyright that I don't know. I know certain things like, and then Kyle from YouTube Calgary as well was able to add some insight in like the sense that even thumbnails could actually be flagged as a copyright infringement. They're not often flagged that way, but it is possible. Mm -hmm. And just getting those people together is the whole point is just become friends. Yeah. If you don't already have one set up, I mean, I'm I'm not aware of if that you do set up like a Slack channel for for YouTube Calgary, and I find that like we have one set up for for Unwind Media, our uh, our media production company that well, mm-hmm. I mean organization we'll call it, and uh, <laughs> and uh, it's it's been really nice to have like similar to a facebook group but it's a bit more structured and you can actually get stuff done with it like it's one thing to put a facebook post saying hey i'm looking to edit this video so i won't have any tips but it's another thing to like have a dedicated place for you know like you're alluding to like color correction right and you can have an entire forum dedicated to color correction or you can create a new channel for a specific project that you're working on and say hey i'm looking for some input on this and you can post links in there you can comment on other comments and all this kind of stuff it's it's really cool i don't know if you've ever used slack or or a tool like it before but it's uh it can be a really big benefit especially when you have a lot of people trying to kind of all coordinate together with with various things i've installed slack because um internet creators guild use has a slack channel but i looked at it and i'm like what is this this looks like google facebook or not google uh facebook groups combined with like discord and just kind of all of this and i'm like what is this and also trying to be like uh, a web form at the same time like php bb and i'm like why wouldn't i just create a bulletin board why why use like i I don't know Slack well enough to say that it's good or not. It's just everything it seems to do seems to already exist. So I don't see the point of why to use it. Yeah. Outside of the fact that there's an app for it. Yeah. No, it's is definitely uh, similar to what's already exists. Like it's a combination between IRC and and bulletin boards. I, I'd say that's okay. probably the best way to describe it. I wish it was more like a bulletin board as far as being able to have things not get lost because the way it's set up right now is, you know, you have your various kind of channels created within the channel, but uh, when you have, or I guess the team, so you have like the, the team and then channels within the team. So you two Calgary would have be the team and then you have channels for, um, I don't know, whatever, whatever you wanted. And within yeah. each channel, you'd have your messages. But if you wanted kind of like, a dedicated place for a topic the only place to really have that is to create a channel for it which isn't always the best thing but whereas in a forum or a bulletin board you have like your major thing and then you can have various like subgroups 
within that. And then you can have various threads and then people comment on those threads, which I've been familiar with growing up. Like I was really big into message boards before. So mm-hmm. coming to Slack, I, I like that aspect of it, but I wish there's a bit more to kind of keep the topics visible versus just getting lost right away. Um, they're, okay. they're kind of working on implementing a bit more of that where now you can kind of start threads within each channel. So you have like a comment saying, Hey, I'm working on this video. Let me know what you think. And you can comment directly on that hmm. instead of having to comment below it and hoping that people are able to follow the discussion. So, oh, so similar to like okay. Facebook so, comments, how now you can comment yeah. on a comment, right? So it's similar yeah. to that, but moved over to Slack as well, because I think people wanted to be, to be able to kind of comment within a specific topic instead of having to create a new channel for it all the time. But I think it's at least worth trying. And I mean, it might not go anywhere, but it's at least, you know, talking about collaborating and trying to get stuff done and, and you'll get input on things. I think having something like Slack can help move toward that unless the Facebook group is kind of, I mean, that obviously has more visibility and yeah, less friction like to kind of get people involved with. Like there's about um, over 200 members on the Facebook group and there has yet to be 200 people to show up to one of our meetups. I hope one day we will actually get all of them to show up, but I think shifting everybody around, like it, Slack could be a great solution, but I think right now it's, it may not be the best idea because we don't want to spread ourselves across this platform, that platform, like, like what we were originally doing with like the weekly video submissions where we all, we posted on Reddit, we posted on Facebook, we posted on Twitter, and then we have all these other <laughs> things. Whereas now we have youtubecalgary.ca slash submit all in one spot. Yeah. And then everything just links to that and just problem solved. Um, but I'm not dismissing the fact that Slack could be a solution. Yeah. I just think it's not a solution at this time. Yeah. Facebook messengers actually, moving toward implementing a bit more of Slack's features, being able to have threads within a group, like a group chat. So you have kind of like, again, we'll use the analogy of setting up like a YouTube Calgary Facebook group within a chat, and then you can have various threads within that chat. So you'd have one on like, oh, next meetup. And then you go into that and then start commenting on that instead of having to just have, again, have stuff lost within the same group chat or having to create a new chat for each kind of topic. So, uh, hmm. yeah, it's definitely collaboration, I think, is a big thing these days. And Slack tried to solve it. But I think the biggest thing they ran into is people were already in these other environments like Facebook or Twitter or, I don't know, I'd say Google Plus, but no one was really over at Google Plus. Well, there's there, there's Google Groups, too. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> no, but I think. But Google Plus, no, that nobody uses that. No. <laughs> I did years ago. And then I stopped. I had an account. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> didn't use it much yeah i actually i used it for a while and then i just didn't and then i used like, it so that i could have like I, the main th- reason why i used google uh plus was so i could set up my youtube channel so i could have more than one manager like that's literally the only main reason why i used it i would scroll through it and i'm just like oh the most annoying thing that is still annoying is that if you add someone to your circles it adds them to your phone contacts and i'm like no i don't want you on my phone i just want to be like google plus friends with you not phone friends (laughs) i'm like how do i make them go away and you can just hide them and i'm like i just want to delete them now yeah when they showed up in like gmail too as like contacts and it's like i don't want to email you i just want to have you on google plus to see what you're posting yeah (laughs) exactly yeah uh so when is the next uh 
YouTube Calgary meetup. You guys just had one, right? Yes, we just had one on Saturday. I wasn't able to make it, but there was a bunch of people that did make it. Uh, The next meetup for YouTube Calgary is we're having a board game night on March 25th at 8 p.m. at Pibb's uh, board game. There is more details about it if you go to youtubecalgary.ca slash events. And also on that note, too, Twitch Calgary is having a meetup. I believe it is their first meetup of 2017, and that is happening on Sunday, March 26th from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. at local 510 Tavern. Cool. It is all ages until 5 p.m., I believe, and then after that, um, it becomes over 18. It's either 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. I don't remember the exact time. Yeah. So I highly recommend going to any YouTube Calgary meetup, but the board game night was really fun. I went to the last one. It was a really good time. We'll, uh, Monopoly. We'll link the the video that Dan Nobre made, and it was really good. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's a really good time. Play some games, have some food, and just get to know your, your fellow creators. And I'm sure the Twitch Calgary meetup is the same, if not. I, I'd yeah. say better, but I'll say the same, because they're both really good. Yeah. If you want to talk more computers, Twitch Calgary will significantly, I think, know a bit more because they have to know more in order to build these gaming rigs. Yeah. So uh, we'll have the links to both uh, the YouTube Calgary and Twitch Calgary in the the show notes if you're interested. And uh, we'll also have Dan's YouTube channel in the show notes as well. So you can check out his stuff. I highly recommend it as well. I I don't get a lot of time to spend on YouTube specifically watching videos anymore because I drive to work. So... I used to get all my YouTube consumption on the bus and the and the LRT, but since driving, I'm I'm on the podcast bandwagon now. So I mean, I, I'm not complaining because I love podcasts and I love being able to listen to a lot of them. But I miss being able to catch up on all my YouTube channels. So uh, yeah, highly recommend checking out Dan's channel. Uh, I don't. I think that's uh, that's all I've got for this week. Dan, did you have any any questions for me? Or I don't know. I, I feel like I've I've been talking about you this whole time. Um, or asking you questions <laughs> well isn't that the whole point of this Just, I, I guess you talk about me I, I i thought this was an opportunity to get to know each other dan this is this is like oh, it's okay. like a first date it's like what's your favorite color well i i like blue i i oh, okay i wear a lot of blue fair enough i like green there you go my keyboard is currently green <laughs> hey are you not using like your new like fancy light up keyboard yeah Ooh. yes i am look at that that looks, it changes color. That looks purple to me, not green. It is purple. It just changed. Oh. It fades between colors. Ooh, that's nice. Yeah, right now it is yellow. Nice. Sorry, are you using your... You're not using your new computer right now because I saw you bought a bunch of no. parts for it already. Um, so currently I have to pick up uh, a few more parts, but my motherboard is on back order, which is super annoying. But at the same time, I'm not super annoyed at it because um, everybody's trying to get that motherboard. And because... It is like first generation early adopters that there are some kind of like BIOS issues and like RAM clock speeds not matching the exact thing. So you can't get the full 100% performance out of it. So probably by the time I'll eventually get my motherboard, I think at some point in April now is what it sounds like. Um, all those issues should be resolved because like the, the motherboard I'm getting, uh, it keeps getting BIOS updates every like two or three days. So I'm like, yes, be fixed by the time I get you. <laughs> but it's... There's there's a delay like you can't go anywhere and get this motherboard. It's the like Corsair Hero Four or something. Hmm. It's whatever the fanciest uh, AM4 
uh, motherboard is right now and it has so many usb ports that's the main reason why i got it like i think there's like 14 on it just oh, wow. out of the box like it is just oh, all the usb so but not usb c um i think it might have one or two usb c uh but they are like traditional usb where you have to flip it over a couple of times and eventually it works right so aside from usb c though you don't have to do that that is correct. Right. USB-C is amazing. Yeah. My phone has USB-C. I think it might have one USB-C port, which is cool, but whatever. I only have one. I only have two things that use USB-C. Yeah. Yeah, I think like USB-C is supposed to be the future, but oh, is yeah. it'll be interesting to see like how long that takes because like just USB-A, I guess it is, is so like ubiquitous for everything. Like, at least mm-hmm. as far as the plugging into something, like, at least one of the ends will be USB-A. Like, yeah. what, the other end will be whatever, but one end's going to be USB-A to plug into either, like, a wall or an adapter or a computer or any of that kind of stuff. And I don't know, it's, I think people are going to be, if they're not, if they get, com- if computers start coming with USB-C exclusively, you're still going to have, like, hubs of USB-C to USB-A that people are going to have to use. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know if we'll ever get away from USB-A completely. I don't think we will because, like, printers printers don't even use, like, gigabit because, well, they don't need to. So they're still, like, using megabit Ethernet cards. I don't see them ever needing or wanting to switch over. But one rumor I did hear, I don't know if there's any truth to it, is that the next iPhones may have a USB-C connector, which I think is great because that will help in, encourage the, adopt- uh, the adoption of USB-C. Yeah. I, I think that rumor was more about the one end, like they're, they're going to keep lightning, but oh, okay. to the other end is supposed to be USB-C. Like they actually came oh. out to clarify because it was the, US, the Wall Street Journal that reported that. And uh, I think someone from Apple came out and was like, no, like we're keeping lightning. It's just the other end is going to be USB-C. <laughs> so basically you won't be able to plug it into anything because yeah. not everybody has that. Like. I only can think of the Nexus that has USB-C. Like, I don't, I can't think of any phone off the top of my head that has USB-C right now. Uh, well, like, a lot of the Android phones do, I think. Like, at least this year's models coming out are all going to have yeah. USB-C. Um, and, like, the MacBook, like, this newest one had USB-C as the only port. So, oh, okay. that, that's, I think that's why Apple's moving that way. It's like, okay... Because the the running joke was always like you couldn't plug your new iPhone into your new MacBook because oh yeah you need to yeah. go to an adapter to go to the <laughs> yeah so now they won't have that issue anymore so people will be uh, happy now that rumor makes sense yeah well and that was the thing like it was a big talking point for about a week until they clarified it but everyone's like oh my gosh we're gonna get rid of Lightning what does this mean for Apple like are they gonna start <laughs> moving towards standardization it's like no nope, no nope, everything's status quo Apple's still keeping their proprietary ports. It's all uh, it's all good. <laughs> That's part of the reason why I moved away from them. I was like, goodbye, proprietary. Yeah, yeah. I've I've liked having Android for for that reason as well. Just a lot of cross compatibility, and you don't have to worry about if it's going to work. Like it just it just works. Just, well, I mean, it doesn't, but it does. <laughs> you can make it work. Yeah, iOS is arguably a lot more stable, but I think it's, it's worth the worth the benefit of of having compatibility and just flexibility with your device 
for sure. But I think like the greatest advantage that Android has is like I I had the solitaire game on my phone, but I hated that it went full screen and hid my clock. So I went into it um, because you could just open the APK file, uh, and I went into there and found the resolution or whatever it was and was able to change it from being full screen to not full screen so I could see my clock again. It was able to save it and put it back onto my phone and it still runs. And even when I update it, it doesn't change that line of code. That's cool. So like, yes. Not every app is but, like designed that way though to be able to just go and edit oh, yeah. it though, right? Well, some of actually most of them you can because they're all APKs and if you take an APK onto your computer, you can just open it with like 7-Zip or any zip application. You can even rename it to .zip and be able to open the contents. Right. And then within there, it's you got to look around. I forget exactly which huh. file it was, but I googled it and was like, "Okay, this file is the one that contains the resolution, change this to this and save and done." Hmm. I did that with a PowerPoint file the other day. Like I, w- I was trying to resize the slides without resizing the images in it. And the mm-hmm. only way to do that apparently is to go in and edit the actual code in the zip of the PPTX. Uh, because yeah. if you resize it within PowerPoint, you'd say, you know, change slide size. And then it like stretches everything else in it to match the same kind of like scale. Uh, so, but if you go in and then just change the slide ratio within the actual uh, code, like the... Oh, what should we call it? XML file. Then, mm-hmm. uh, then it works out fine. But then you have to go in and kind of move everything and shift everything. But at least all your images are still preserved to the same size. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy that whole thing. And like, I don't know if you're still playing Pokemon on uh, Pokemon Go, but I can't. I'm rooted. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You're one of those they, victims. I I could do it with my work phone because yeah. that one's not rooted, but my non-work phone is better. <laughs> Uh, but I guess like whenever they release a new APK, then they'll go in and dig around in the code to see what's been included in the update and all that kind of stuff. And there's obviously like hidden stuff in the code that hasn't been turned on, like on the server side, like new features or whatever. Right. Or you can dig into the stats of, of each Pokemon because all the master files inside. Oh yeah. Cause then you can see that like VI or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You can see all that fancy stuff. Yeah. Um, I think it's like Android Police or whatever. One of those websites, they rip apart like every Google update where they rip apart like Google Photos and, and then they are saying, oh, soon it's going to be enabled that you'll have this kind of feature. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Yeah. Well, that's where I get all my APKs from. Uh, I think it's Android Police that runs APK Mirror. And that's yes, where they post all the, the APKs to download. And yeah, so I tried... I was going to go download the maps one, but it's like a beta version. And I was like, well, I use maps too much to be on a beta. So I didn't want to go into that, but yeah, anytime a new version of anything's released and usually it's a Google app and then I'll go download it from, from the APK and just run it. So, well, you could just become a beta tester within Android itself. Yeah. But I don't want beta maps. Like I want maps well, to could, work. <laughs> like I'm, I, I have beta Facebook on my oh, phone. Oh man, that's the worst. No, it actually no. works really, really great because I get the features faster. But beta Facebook, like, I don't know, maybe it was just my phone, but like every update they do, there was some like crippling feature of it that I couldn't use it until like they release a new beta version and they always like update it on the back end. So you didn't have to keep re-downloading new versions, but they always had to update it to fix all these bugs. And like, you know, I'd go to like the notification menu and it'd flip back to the newsfeed right away. And I'm like, what the heck? Like... I can't work with this. I don't care enough about the new features to have not be able to use my app. Yeah, those bugs still exist. Like sometimes I click on the notification. I'm like, oh, that doesn't work. Oh, yeah. well. Yeah, and then you and can't then, use it for a day. 
Yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, but the worst one was when all of a sudden on the beta one, I couldn't like a post. If I tried liking it, it would just not work and wouldn't actually register the like. And I'm like, oh, cool. I just don't like anything today. Cool. <laughs> but see, that's the thing. I can't do that with maps because it's like, I'm going to go oh, to yeah, work. No. Oh, I, why is he giving me this route? Oh, I guess I'm not going to work today. <laughs> yeah. No, maps has replaced my GPS because my GPS requires um, power to it. And I've accidentally yeah. like basically broken the cable. So I'm like, well, my phone can do maps. Perfect. Like I tried Android Auto. Android Auto is garbage. Oh, like, really? I Well, it could be good, but it, it, it uses so much of like uh, the CPU usage that it's just, it cripples your phone and it's just very, very laggy. Huh. And like I'm running it on a Nexus 6P. And it shouldn't be that bad on it, but it's just terrible to run mm. it on there. Whereas I can just use maps, hit navigate, and it's pretty much the exact same thing. Mm. It's just not as fancy of a layout. I actually don't use Android Auto anymore. I use Google Maps Navigate. Right. Yeah, no, I was, I was had recently bought a, a new car stereo deck, and uh, I was looking at some of the kind of touchscreen interface type things, and like obviously a lot of them support Android Auto now, and I was like... Well, I already use my phone for any sort of like navigational or, you know, even just hook up to like Bluetooth or whatever. So I don't want to have to use like my heads up display or my stereo to have to use all that. And it's like, if something happened to that where it's like stopping supported or just like a bug or just stop working, it's like, then I don't have a stereo. So I'd rather have like yeah. stereo be like as dumb as possible while still being useful and leave the smart stuff to my phone because it's going to be a lot more capable and well-supported than my pioneer stereo deck that may or may not be supported in a year or two. Yeah. That's why I went with just an aux cable. Yeah. Plug an aux cable into my phone. Done. Yeah. Well, they sell like what they have like Bluetooth dongles now that use the aux port. So like you're connecting oh. your phone to the Bluetooth, which then feeds the audio that's transmitted from your phone to the Bluetooth through the aux. So you're effectively using a Bluetooth stereo, but it's all through the aux cable. So, oh cool. Yeah, that's what I had until I fixed or I uh, replaced my stereo because finally the aux port was going on it. So the phone connected to the Bluetooth fine, but the audio wasn't transmitting to the aux port very well. So I had to either get it fixed or replace it. But it was just like the factory factory stereo yeah. from a 2009 Yaris, so it was, it's not like it's worth fixing. <laughs> well, that's like my car, my 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 Toyota. Uh... It's a 2010, but I bought it in 2009. The aux port, sometimes it only works on like the right side of my car. Yeah. And if I move it a little bit, then it works on the left. And I'm like, why? <laughs> yeah. And it replaced the cable first and it wasn't the cable. Yeah. And it's in such an awkward spot that I can't even like take it apart and fix it. And I don't want to see the price of getting that fixed professionally because. Ugh. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what started happening in mine is that you'd have to kind of like shift the, uh, the cable or the jack slightly and then it was fine. But then it started going where like you'd have to rotate and kind of like jiggle it for like two minutes until it finally found like a sweet spot. And I was like, yes, all my speakers are working. But then it just crapped out. And All right. Sounds like I need a new stereo. Yeah. Well, see, I use it as an excuse because every time I get a rental car, it has Bluetooth. And I'm like, this is the best thing ever. Like my next car, I'm going to get a Bluetooth stereo. But I'm like, why don't you just get a Bluetooth stereo? Because <laughs> they're not like, you know, it's not even that huge of an investment it's like a 100 bucks for the hardware and then i'm sure you could install it yourself if you wanted to but 
Well, my car does have Bluetooth, but the problem is that if I try to transmit audio for it, it only uses my front speakers, so it doesn't use my back ones, <laughs> so I never use it. Like, I don't even think this phone is even paired up to the Bluetooth right. on my car. One of my phones is, but I just, I never use it. I just don't answer my phone. Right. Well, the the stereo that I have, it has the ability to pair two phones at once, even for okay. phone calls. So I have like a work phone and a personal phone. So now they're both hooked up to Bluetooth. So regardless of what call I get, it can receive the call. Even if you're listening to audio from one, it can take a call from the other phone, which is really cool. Oh, nice. Yeah. So did you see that um, some of the fancy stuff um, you can actually get like a screen inside your review mirror so you can have like your notifications oh, in your review <laughs> mirror and it's like a stereo and I'm like oh this is so cool but I feel like it's so dangerous yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I want it <laughs> and it like if you put it in reverse if you get the one with like a review camera well then your mirror is now that camera or at least a section of it is right. and I'm just like this is so cool but like I, I'm I'm kind of afraid yeah. if it breaks. <laughs> exactly. The more things there are to break, the worse you might end up being. And keep, <laughs> yeah. like I say, keep it as dumb as possible while still being functional. That's my rule for, for car stuff. Same with like appliances. Yep. Like you can get fridges and dishwashers and all that kind of stuff that do tons of things. It's like, I just want it to do what it needs to do. I don't want to replace like a processor chip on my fridge. <laughs> <laughs> well... That was what um, Intel, I think it was, was talking about um, at CES this year, is that they're working on making it so that, like, smart TVs that get outdated, like, as soon as they're sold, they want to make it so that all the circuitry is kind of, like, on a PCMCIA slot, so then you can take that that card out that contains all the circuitry and upgrade it later on, hmm. kind of like a CPU socket. And I was like, that's, that's an excellent idea. Yeah. Because then, like, I want smart everything devices. Because I just, I want to control everything from my phone with like, if this, then that, and then I can do everything. Yeah. Well, I just love that. Smart TVs are basically just computers, like the giant monitors mm-hmm. that run an operating system. And they're, they're all like Linux based operating systems too, or mm-hmm. Android, right? So it's like, you may as well set them up to be replaceable and upgradable like computers too. Oh, I wonder what I could do with one of those now. <laughs> I want to just get one and just like totally hack it and make it just run Ubuntu and be like, look, I have Linux on my TV. Yeah. No, you can though. Like I oh, went I- in and uh, like on the, cause we have a smart TV and you can like, it has a browser and everything and you can actually go in and like download stuff for it. Like it doesn't run, but it looks very hackable, but you could oh. also just like fry your TV and then it's not going to get covered because you did a bunch of stuff to it. So yeah, but I hack every device I get. No, I know. Like I, yeah. it, that's the whole point of getting it. They're like, do you want an extended warranty? I'm like, I'm going to avoid it as soon as I get home. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, if you can, if you find like a, a, a cheap or a secondhand smart TV and just try to play around with it, then you could probably get somewhere yeah. with it for sure. Because my, my TV is not even smart. It's just a TV. <laughs> <laughs> just the, the smart part of it is my nvidia shield that's what makes it smart yeah but it's not that smart